Hi, I'm Aaron Armstrong. Hey, I'm Pete Moran. And you're about to hear Pete and Aaron Armstrong of three years ago. <laughs> you're listening to ghosts. You're listening to three. You're listening to three, the ghosts of the past, Peter. Mm-hmm. You're listening to two people who uh, never expected Donald Trump to be president. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's when you hear uh, the sense of hope in our voice. Uh, just remember that it's about to be quashed. We sound a little more relaxed. It's not because we didn't know what to say because this was only our sixth episode of we, of not even called We Love to Watch. It's called Listen to Our Podcast uh, back then. Uh, but it's because we just, you know, why? Why hurry? Life's going to be okay. Uh, <laughs> and now we're in a rush because we could get nuked at any time. But yeah, we are re-releasing our sixth episode um, because we're we're rounding out here the What's Even Real Man month uh, where we did uh, – it was the Matrix-inspired uh, uh, month that we did about uh, what is real. We did 13th Floor. We did Existence. We did Tron. Some of those probably have come out. Some of them haven't. But really, if we were if we were doing this month and had never done Dark City as one of our first episodes, uh, we it definitely would have been in this month. And we talk a lot about The Matrix. We talk about the similar movies of the time. So I feel like it fit really nicely in this month. And also, it's such an early episode that there is a pretty good chance people haven't heard it. Now that we have 150 plus episodes, yeah, uh, I feel like it's it's fair for us to occasionally be like, "Hey, this is uh, this is from three years ago. You probably don't know it exists." Occasionally, we will be highlighting episodes that fit into a themed month to sorta uh, add more to the context of what our themed months really mean. Yeah. And why we ended up doing theme months, because at the time it was just random craziness. And the idea of this episode was that it was a movie that Peter and I disagreed on. If I remember correctly, I feel like it was still a pretty pleasant chat. Um, yeah. In general, Peter, you've re-listened to it since. I haven't. Uh, it's also before we learned how to edit um, it's, and and compress sound correctly. So it's definitely going to sound, I, uh, my guess would be, a little bit rough around the edges. Nowhere near as rough as our pilot episode, if you listen to that, when we re-released it in September. But we were still figuring things out. And someday we'll get there. Also, a uh, big correction since... Um, since we record the episode, since then, Peter, I found out that those white people were aliens. Wait, really? Yeah, I just thought they were. I thought it was a very terrible depiction of albinos. <laughs> uh, somehow more progressive than powder. Yeah, somehow more, way more progressive than powder. Uh, made by better, nicer, non-criminal people that should should not be locked away uh, for the rest of their lives. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Turns Alex out the aliens knowing was pretty good. Uh, I still haven't quite figured out why at the end um, there are stars everywhere. I'm assuming there's a big telescope uh, projecting space into their city, but I'll figure it out one of these days. It's Maybe I'll release sequel, The Fault in Our Stars. That's what it was about. It's all mm-hmm. coming together. Who's that? Miles Teller? The other one? Smile uh, <laughs> Schmeller. Sure. Uh, good content for our Dark City. But anyways, uh, we hope you guys enjoy... Uh, uh, this this early look into Aaron and Pete when they were still in their early 30s and <laughs> mid-20s, respectively. Yeah. And uh, so, a note here. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Note it up. I was going to go back and give this a proper re-edit with modern techniques. And uh, I decided after listening to it that I that would be A, uh, unnecessary. 
um, because it's it flows okay. And B, I feel like, like you're it's more fun to hear to how one. we used to sound. Um, but I will be doing a light layer of noise reduction. But other than that, this is going to sound pretty much like it did back in the day. And uh, also, the final point, it's way easier for me to not to re-edit it. Uh, <laughs> so uh. I want to leave in the ums and the ands and like the, the weird sort of flow because I think it shows how different we are in the past three years or... Thank you so much for that disclaimer, Peter. Uh, so if you want the original, uh, more staticky version, please go back to our feed. It's still there. We're not George Lucas's. We're not George Lucas's. Yeah, that's right. We'll, we'll stick with that. Uh, we're not plural George Lucas I who have re-edited, uh, the, the way it was meant to be experienced, but we have cleaned it up digitally if you want to listen to it that way. Yeah, and if you listen very carefully, I don't know if people know this, but you carry a gun in every episode. Uh, and I went back and turned your gun into a walkie-talkie in this episode. Oh, excellent! I can call. I can call my walkie-talkie. Help! There's aliens. We need a gun. <laughs> Send guns. Uh, all right. Uh, and with that, welcome to the Dark City. I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Peter Moran. And you're tuned in to listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast or we'll smash a building into you. Hey, Peter. Hey, Aaron. How you doing tonight? I am doing... Well, now you've given away that we record at night. Really, oh, no. the, the air of mystery that we've been trying to cultivate. Like, who are these people? Do they do they get up at three in the morning? I guess I was going to say day or night, but there's, those are really only the two options. So, there's not that much mystery when there's only 24 hours to work with. And night is a good, you know, third of the day. What about so, Twilight? What about Breaking Dawn? Um, I don't care for those time periods. Um, that's when I met my most sparkly. That's a pretty hacky joke, but I'm going to leave it. Let's just move past it. <laughs> um, so this week we, uh, this week we decided to just go ahead and not record, uh, with <laughs> that many segment ideas up front. I have zero. Do you have any? I do have one. Should we talk about what movie we're going to, let's, let's. Before we get into our uh, not available segment ideas, which again, <laughs> this could really psych a lot of people up. They're like, finally, they forgot to do their homework ideas. Honestly, we're probably going to run out of these at some point anyways um, and just start talking about our day or uh, sandwiches that we ate or um, puppies we adopted. Um, <laughs> and uh, and we'll be, we'll be totally done with... Uh, with our our, our quiz based segment ideas, uh, but we I are going to talk. I adopt enough puppies that uh, I hope that I adopt enough puppies that I can uh, have an entire segment on the show about it. As to as to what puppy you adopted that week? <laughs> yep, the house will gradually. It'll just be the podcast will be just nothing but me yelling over barks and whines. We should, we haven't even just talked about what movie we're going to be talking about, which is 
Possibly, because I don't know what Peter's take on it after he watched it. Let's save that a little bit. Um, what mystery? This, well, it is a mystery. Because um, if this does end up, we kind of set it up now for weeks. So if this really ends up being, uh, oh, yeah, I liked it. This this could really pull the wind out of the sails. But uh, <laughs> we're going to be we're going to be talking about Dark City, a movie that I love. And Peter has progressed in the in the past weeks from I don't care for it that much, but I like the art design to I hate that movie. So we're going to see uh, what he thinks about it uh, tonight. But before we do that, we'll go into the one segment that we actually have because Peter did not do his homework. He just did a bunch of research on the movie, which <laughs> like Peter, come on. No no one turns into <laughs> learning about the movie that we're discussing. They 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 really like quizzes based on uh whether dogs in other movies have perished. <laughs> People just like talking about dead dogs. I don't know what it is. It's it's a big uh, traffic bump. Every week that we talk about uh dead dogs, we get another bump. Yeah, it is, you know, a fun fact for you, Peter. Dead dogs has never not been the number one trending topic on Twitter. Never. Since the inception of Twitter. Hashtag hashtag your dog's dead now. Number one all time. So the one segment I have is – so whether or not we actually agree on the movie, I don't know yet. We're going to get into it. Uh, But I will say – I will say I I do not care for the title of this movie. It's really – I mean, it's Dark City, a movie, and uh, I, I don't really care for the title. It's the sort of title that I'm like, that if it were done in the 1940s, I'd be like, oh, that's kind of cool. But since it's like so reflective on uh, 40s and 50s noir, that it just feels super self-conscious. Yeah. Like, it's not a title that's like directly offensive. Like, I don't, when we're talking about the movie, I'm not like uncomfortable saying it. It's just a really generic it's, title. Yeah, it's generic. It. Yeah, I see where they're going for from uh, trying to copy the film noir of uh, of the old of the olden days of the forties and fifties. But it feels like it's a. It feels like if you're going to reference that, you should do a better job than having a like. And and you know what? Actually, you might not know this. Maybe you do, Mister Research. But uh, there was another dark city that was a film noir. Uh, starring Charlton Heston from 1950. I saw that. That was one of those things that, like, um, one of the trivia sections that I read said, uh, this is not a remake of the Charlton Heston movie. And I was like, yeah. well, well, that's that's really stretching the definition of trivia. Yeah, all, all whenever you do research, um, all of your research sources uh, should have a – this goes for whether you're trying to become a medical doctor, study for a test – all your major research sources uh, should have uh, trivia sections. That's how you know <laughs> you're you're doing good research. Is if the book or the website that you are using for research has a just here's some trivia that you might want to know for your research, Peter. <laughs> we should change the name of this podcast to to Mister Research, Mister Research and the Douche. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> I think we'll both be underwhelmed by the amount of research I did. I do that the movie was originally titled Dark Empire. Son of a bitch, Peter. So I should say, so my entire segment <laughs> was was apparently based on you doing no research. But is that <laughs> I didn't like the title of Dark City, but there were like 10 or 12 alternate titles I found. And I was going to read you a list of titles and two of them are real and the rest are fake. And you were going to need to figure out which which of the two of the 15 I was going to read to you were real. Yeah, hit me. Let's do it. Well, you... Okay. <laughs> I think you're going to know one of them. 
Um, <laughs> take that one out. Champions adjust, just like the Mighty Ducks. Well, I only kept in two real ones, so I don't remember what the other ones were. So it's fine. So, so, so I'm going to give me sh- <laughs> So you giving me shit for not preparing a game. <laughs> I, I ruined my own game. Have I been lifted by my own petard? Is that is that what's happened here? Am I misunderstanding or did you just say you don't remember which of the answers is correct? No, I remember which of the answers are correct, but I don't I, I wrote down two that were real and, and I, I don't have that resource in front of me. So it's fine. It's fine. We're just let's just do this. Um, and you're gonna you're gonna get one right. So already you're gonna start with a solid fifty percent, which is an F. Um, let's see if you can get it to an A. So let's start. I'm just going to list these off. And at the end, I want you to tell me the two that are real. Dark mm-hmm. Empire, Peter. That's the first one. Mm-hmm. It's Dark Empire. Uh, who turned out the lights? It's super dark in here. Darkness Falls. Am I blind or is the city very dark? When the lights go out in the city. Night and the Dark City. Dark World. Dark Strangers. Don't talk to dark strangers. Black city. Dark corners. Did we pay the power bill for the city this month? Nearest dark. Someone crashing into something and saying, whoops, didn't see you there, city. And I close my eyes and can see the city because my closed eyes are essentially the same because the city is pretty dark. I want now, to see the last now one this, jammed in a poster. Now, this this may shock you. Only two of those were real. Some of them, I'm not, I'm not, like, again, I know hearing those, you're probably like, these all sound really real. But I, I need to assure you, all but two of those were made up by me. Um. So, the first one was uh, <laughs> Dark Empire. Yep. Which I already said. And the second one is Who Turned Out the Lights, D- Dark City. <laughs> Uh, that wasn't was even it? a title. That wasn't even a title. <laughs> I said the one? I was who turned out the lights. It's super dark in here. <laughs> that one is just so it's so ominous. You know, it's like who goes there? Like those type of old classic sci-fi stories. This one is just who turned out the lights. It's super dark in here. I actually thought what would have been clever. This was a made-up one. I'll, I'll let you know. But night and the dark city would have been, I think, a really good one. Was one of them? Uh, fuck! I stubbed my toe in this dark city. Kind of, because there was the banging noise, and then whoops, didn't see you there, city. That was one of my fake. Um, I thought near, I thought nearest dark would have been good too, but that was not one of the real titles. That was one of the fake ones. Great list, so what, by the way. I'd like to applaud you. you for that. Thank you. So what? What's the other real one? <laughs> I don't know. I don't remember. It's been like twenty minutes. Uh, dark world. Dark world. Wow, dark world and dark a empire. Title. Yeah, they're all pretty terrible. It's funny that they really only went to. Okay, we got to start with dark. We know that for sure because it's dark, because it's night for the entire movie. God. So we got Dark City, Dark Empire. I mean, there's no empire, so I'm glad that they got rid of that just right out of the way. Because if you hold a city, I, I got to be honest with you, you don't have an empire, okay? <laughs> you, you you have dreams well above your means right now, buddy. Like, you got to scale it back, organize your city, maybe get some sort of militia, then go go out and try to, you know, get an empire. We don't really know how uh, far that these these uh, aliens have gone in their plans for universal domination, but we can safely assume they're pretty cheesed about uh, losing this single city. So I, I think we can assume that they're not going much further than that. I don't know if you're trying to make a joke, but just to be clear, their plan is not uh, world domination. Peter, don't know if you watched or paid attention to the movie. Um, it's just it's just not dying. 
is really their plan. But they are bad aliens. They're mean aliens, and they clearly do not have the skills uh, to run their own empire. They're, they're just, mostly they're just, just fucking. <laughs> they're just mostly uh, abducting people and then uh, fucking with their lives a little bit. True, but no anal probing. So it's a really the the aliens in this movie have taken a big step up in their experimentation from the type of aliens that we're all used to in our day to day lives. I guess. Yeah. Then it, well, instead, they're just probing your mind, Danis. Well, I, I'll tell you what, um, I think the, the segment over, um, and I think <laughs> that we we are making a wonderful case for everyone who has said, just you maybe just stop doing the segments uh, to this week. So, congratulations. This episode, this episode is more of a confused mess so far than the movie um, Dark City. So, let's, okay, so let's start talking about the movie. I'm going to do a 90 second plot recap, which if anyone is timing on those, they know that that is just a catchphrase for us and not an actual uh, measure of time. <laughs> 90 seconds is just a figure of speech. It's just a figure of speech. Yeah. Uh, we should have a disclaimer in our notes that uh, 90 second plot recap may be more seconds. Uh, but I think they've ranged from like 30 to eight hours um, based on the Flash Gordon <laughs> one. Um, anyway. So let's okay. Let's 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 start this out. Let's see if this is going to be a friendly, nice discussion that we're going to have as two uh, film loving buddies who just love movies and the creative worlds that they make in front of our eyes. Or if you're going to be a giant dick bag the whole <laughs> time, and we're going to have to talk like that, Peter. This time upon viewing Dark City, what were your thoughts? Wait, I thought you were going to do the ninety second rundown. That's, I said, I think the exact opposite. <laughs> that before I do the 90-second rundown, let's get your thoughts. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe I did. Maybe I said, you know, one of these things that, because we're talking so much, sometimes you have an idea of where you want to go in your head, and it doesn't end up there. So, okay. I guess okay, we're so, going to have to so, listen to the, we're going to have to listen to the tape. Find okay, out who's so right. cut, cut, cut here, and then I'll give you my reactions. Um, <laughs> I think think that this is one of those opportunities where I returned to something that I didn't like a bunch of years ago and I didn't I would rate it the exact same number of stars uh, as I did back then but for a I would like to think more complex reasons I think my demands have gone up as a viewer as I've gotten older the this movie disappointed me on most levels uh, again it's not a terrible movie 
but it is certainly not deserving of uh, some of the acclaim that it's gotten over the years. Like Roger Ebert calling it the best film of 1998 and putting it in the same category as um, Metropolis and uh, 2001, which obviously this movie owes a big debt to, to Metropolis. But then again, most movies with any sort of uh, futuristic version of a city do so. Yeah, Akira, and yeah, most Matrix probably does too as well. Um, Batman, yeah, it, Burton's it, Batman's. That is true. A lot of them pull from that sort of German expressionist, and then later um, sort of noir use of shadow and yeah, the crazy geometries and such. Uh, yeah, I didn't like the movie at all, and I, I think. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa! Ebert, so Ebert wait, is a, you, Ebert, you didn't like the movie. Ebert at all. Is a, uh, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like okay. it at all. Anyways, so Eber- Ebert's uh, review of it was glowing in a way that I really enjoyed reading it because Ebert's a great writer and someone who can make a great argue- argument for anything uh, is at least entertaining to read uh, or at least entertaining to hear the argument in whatever form that person decides to put it out. But Ebert was very often wrong, and I think that he was wrong on this one. He was wrong on Blue Velvet. He was wrong on John Carpenter's The Thing. I think he just... I, I mean, and, and by wrong, you know, I mean you know, from you know the student, like? I disagree. This feels like when, when like crazy conservatives like use like dog whistle terms to try to get people on their side. Like, you throwing <laughs> out blue velvet and fucking The Thing, you're like, hey guys, Ebert's been wrong on these movies that I'm sure anyone listening to loves. So, it feels like you're, you're really pulling out some some big guns. And I'm not I'm not gonna... Like, I, I agree not, with you. I, I, I disagree about I disagree with Ebert all the time. Too, he's a great writer. A lot of films that I've seen because of him, because of his reviews, or his great movies. Seventy five percent of them I probably agree with, and the other twenty five percent. And and I also want to be clear. Like I I guess we're probably gonna have a lot of jokey banter, but I'm not trying to convince Peter throughout this episode. I think I think. We haven't really had one of these where we kind of disagree on the merits of a movie. I kind of want to, before we get into the plot, like, I'm not, it's fine that Peter doesn't like this movie. I I don't think we're going to be trying to convince each other. I think what this is probably going to be is a conversation about why it worked for me and why it didn't work with Peter. Now, because as, as, as if you're listening to this podcast, you probably know our personalities, there'll probably be a bunch of random mean jokes thrown in, but... I want to be clear that that is all in good fun, and if you listen to this podcast and you love Dark City or you hate Dark City, like those those opinions are equally valid. Yeah, and and also uh, the point of this podcast again is to reiterate is to talk about these movies as u- these unique cultural objects and whether or not they work is part of the conversation. And I have no interest in. Uh, even the movies that we love and we would rec- we would actually recommend on the show, I have no interest in uh, hiding from their flaws or you know the regressive things about it that might stand out for you as an experience, just because it might make it easier for us to recommend or not recommend the movie. I think it's just a legitimately interesting thing because Aaron and I agree on most movies and most art actually, and this is just a very specific break in that. And yeah, and and I think. And I think that I, 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 before, before, before we before we get too far, I will say that when when Peter said this is going to be a long podcast, though, if Peter keeps saying things like, um, you know, when we talk about movies, we'd actually recommend I would recommend this movie. <laughs> 
I, I would also recommend it. Well, I guess I guess our, our mantra has been like, if you're listening to this podcast, you should watch the movie. So you shouldn't need this recommendation because you probably have already seen the movie. Yeah, I would also recommend it because I think it's enough. If you're into these sort of movies, I think it's enough of a cultural object. You'd be curious about it. It might be very well be your Matrix or whatever, your, your late 90s sci-fi thriller that you just fall in love with. But uh, it, it wasn't for me, but I'm glad I watched it. And uh, you learn a little bit from every single movie that you watch, hopefully. Um, so let's let's go through the plot quick because you actually already started touching on something that I wanted to ask you about. I actually wrote um, a couple notes on the assumption that you are going to feel similarly to this movie that you had in the past. So I'm just going to get through the plot quickly. I'm kind of going to do it backwards because especially for this movie, I'm going to assume that you've seen it. And the plot is basically... Um, these aliens, uh, called the Strangers, have taken a bunch of human beings, uh, probably from the 1930s or 40s, and they have put them on this, uh, in this city that is basically floating in space. It's like a giant, uh, contained cylinder, concrete, and it's this, this gorgeous kind of city that stretches out. You don't find out that it's actually just floating in space. The implication throughout the movie is that it's, it's based on Earth. But you, these aliens have taken these humans, and what they do each each night is they basically change around their personalities. And what they're trying to determine is, is there something, if, if we change all your memories, if we change everything from a um, nurture standpoint that has made you who you are, does that change who you, is there actually some core uh, personality that exists within you that does not take into account your life experience and your memories and all those relationships and everything else? And so they're basically just switching people around. And eventually, one person played by Rufus Sewell, his name's John Murdoch, uh, he kind of wakes up in the middle of this uh, process where they put everyone to sleep and switch, do a little switcheroo on everyone. And he is actually in the middle of being imprinted with a serial killer who is going around and killing prostitutes. The, the, the visitors, the strangers, they all move all the buildings and rearrange the city and everything using the power of their mind. And, and he has that exact same power and he starts to slowly figure out that he can use it. He is helped by Kiefer, uh, Kiefer Sutherland's uh, scientist character who has been working with the strangers. And he eventually finds out the truth of what's going on. Meanwhile, William Hurt is a detective who is pursuing him for murder. And Jennifer Conley is his is his wife based on the way that they are currently arranged in their personality. So they basically all go on a journey to discover the truth about the Dark City, which is that these are aliens. They've been abducted. They're not on Earth not that they ever really knew they were on Earth because they've had their personalities switched so many times. And at the end, um, John Murdoch uh, defeats the strangers, takes control of their machines, and now the city is his to control. And his first act in doing that is to create the childhood beach that he remembers visiting as a kid based on the memories that they implanted. So that's Dark City. Like I said, you've probably seen it if you haven't. Um, I just ruined the whole thing for you, and a big part of this movie is mystery-related, so uh, you're a fucking idiot. Um, <laughs> why did you listen to this? Hopefully someone will switch out your personality and all your memories uh, tonight, and you can watch this fresh. So that's the plot. So the first thing, before we get into you know d- diving down to scenes and all that stuff, and we may do that less on this podcast. I don't know what this is going to turn into. Uh, Peter and I may just be discussing what worked and what didn't. But the first thing I want to talk about is, Peter, did did you see The Matrix before or after? Um, way, way before. Uh, I saw The Matrix as a... Uh, 
I don't know, fourth or fifth grade kid where I watched it, didn't really understand it at all, but me and my brother just rewatched the uh, lobby shootout and uh, certain fight scenes towards the end. We just we just rewatched it over and over again. I want to say we just rewatched the last third the third act of this movie over and over again uh, of, of the Matrix, and then I didn't see Dark City till much later. So I was probably in high school. I was, pro- I was probably at the perfect age to, to take in Dark City, though. I was probably like 15, 16. I, I agree that that is definitely the perfect age for Dark City. It's, it's probably about the time that I watched it. And then a year – I saw it in theaters. And then a year later – and I would have been 15. And then a year later, uh, The Matrix came out. And I'll tell you what. The whole time I was watching The Matrix, um, I like The Matrix. I think it's a really good movie. But it felt like an inferior version of this same story. And I kind of forgot about Whoa. that because – it, I, I kind of forgot about that because The Matrix became a phenomenon and I got sucked up into it. And it, and and I watched Dark City a bunch and they kind of separated. But that was – I remember that being my first thought. But then later on, I actually started thinking, yeah, you know, these movies aren't that similar. And I'll tell you what, re-watching it this week, I think they are really similar in a way that I haven't thought since the first one. So I almost wonder – and The Matrix does a lot of things better. It has a bigger budget. It has, you know, some pioneering special effects. Um, it has a lot of things that are more, I think, eye-catching. But because the story is so similar, and I hate talking about the, a movie in terms of another movie, but I think they are so similar that from a plot perspective, I wonder if you see The Matrix first, if you are going to have a lesser opinion of Dark City and vice versa. No, I I, I, I get I get that approach, uh, and I'm sure that that's true of a lot of people, um, that they saw The Matrix first, and then they saw Dark City later, and even though Dark City came out first, um, or that, you know, they saw The Matrix and then a lot of other sort of mind-bendy sci-fi thrillers seemed sort of uh, lame in comparison. Um, yeah, I they they they're they're very similar in the sense that they both are taking sci-fi concepts and stitching them to these broad sci-fi philosophical concepts, and then stitching it to a thriller, so that our characters, while they're on a path of self-discovery or world discovery, are also uh, getting to have chase scenes and getting to have, you know, in the Matrix gunfights in this movie, like psychic battles and getting to sort of come to terms with the real world forces that are trying to keep them in particular with the Matrix and Dark City, real world forces that are trying to keep them dumb and under an illusion, uh, putting that they're both trying to put them back to sleep, so to speak, and keep them uh, under the blue pill. I'm just mixing all the metaphors from both movies. Uh. Well, I'll, I'll, throw, I'll throw in another one because it really is like the that that both movies are basically um, uh, that there's rats in cages and the rats are fighting back. Yeah. I mean, this one, this one, they spell out that metaphor very explicitly, which I think works uh, because of how early it comes in the movie. Conceptually, they're extremely similar, and I guess it kind of depends a little bit on where tonally and what they're aping. Obviously, Dark City is aping film noir. And the Matrix is aping, um, you know, kung, kung fu action movies and just action movies and in general. cyberpunk more than yep. yes, Japanese cyberpunk more than American film noir. 
Yeah, so so they're you know they're taking a similar concept and uh, you know taking these other genre influences and making and, and making that movie out of them. But I I don't know. The, I I guess I guess the reason that I brought it up is because I was wondering if, um, and I would be very interested to know this for anyone listening, what order you see these two movies in, and what which one is your favorite? Because I am just wondering, or which is your favorite of the two? I'm wondering if the people that have seen Dark City first would say Dark City, and I'm wondering if people that have seen The Matrix first would say The Matrix. I don't know if that's true. Maybe I'm wildly off base, but watching it this week, it kind of felt like that would be the case. I, I don't want to get too hyperbolic, but I feel like The Matrix did everything better. You know, <clears throat> Ebert, when he was writing about uh, Dark City and he was championing it, which, you know, that's the best... That's Ebert at his best was when he was championing stuff that he really, really loved and he thought that people would sleep on. And he, when he was championing it, he was talking about it, yeah, like comparing it to 2001 and Metropolis as this sort of big adventure sci-fi that blends philosophy with, uh, yeah, adventurism. I didn't really get, especially post-Matrix, I guess maybe Matrix kind of ate its launch in terms of pop philosophy more than this mind-bendy sci-fi, but more in terms of pop philosophy, I think The Matrix more ate, ate Dark City's launch because it made those ideas chewier and more potent in how they were they were laid out. Like there's there's it's not a coincidence that MRA assholes have picked up red pill and blue pill as their symbol for their uh, awful cause. You know, you take the red pill and you're seeing the truth of the world and you take the blue pill, you go back to sleep and be unaware and maybe you're going to remain a feminist or whatever they, whatever particular context they're using it, you're going to stay asleep. And I think that Dark City doesn't have any metaphors in it that are nearly as potent as red pill, blue pill. I think it, it does well, a disservice. I think I it guess- does a disservice to, I think it does a disservice to Dark City to compare it too much to Matrix, which I consider like a masterpiece at pop, uh, pop philosophy. Well, we, we have, we have different opinions on the Matrix. I actually really like the Matrix, but to give some context, like when I was making a list of my favorite 250 movies, The Matrix wasn't on there, and Dark City in my first draft of this dumb project of, of favorites. Again, it means it means nothing objectively. I'm just saying to try to give you a sense of my perspective. I think Dark City was 38, and The Matrix didn't yeah. didn't rate. And I just, but I, I actually think I think you're right in that The Matrix does eat Dark City's lunch. Uh, because The Matrix is a mystery that's solved immediately, and Dark City is 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 best when you don't know anything that's going on and it slowly reveals itself because part I think this is a brilliantly constructed this is before we had the term puzzle box movie but this is the way they are showing all their cards in a lot of amazing foreshadowy ways but still keeping you in the dark I remember the first time watching this was like what is going on how are they going to do like some you know they were revealing pieces at an amazing pace I think that the reason why you could you could make the argument that The Matrix ate Dark City's lunch is because I think that if you see The Matrix and you watch Dark City, you are like, I kind of know where this is going maybe a little more than you would if you hadn't. I think if you take away – it's still – again, I've seen it tons of times. 
knowing the mystery. Whenever you rewatch a movie, you're still like feeding your brain some sort of endorphins from, I remember when I saw this scene from the first time or, oh yeah, I remember this scene affecting me. That's why we have nostalgia because you, you're you not just enjoying a movie for a rewatch. You're also remembering how scenes affected you the first time and getting, you know, a pleasure sensation from that. So, I remember watching these, this movie about how tantalizing the mystery was and how they set up this world really well. And I think that that if you've seen The Matrix, that some of that rug is pulled out from underneath you. Possibly. I'm not, again, I'm not sure. This is just a random theory that I have. And I'm also going to say that I'm glad you talked about the MRA stuff because... Um, now, if this podcast goes really poorly, it's going to be super easy for me to edit you uh, saying positive things about MRA people. Um, and then <laughs> you're going you're gonna to lose people like immediately. And that's going to be good for me. So thank you, Peter. I, I, well, for one, we're in this boat together, buddy. So I'm pretty sure if someone hates one of us, it's enough to turn us off. I, I agree that. Yeah, I guess I guess I wouldn't listen to a podcast where one member is a proud MRA uh, proponent, even if the other one was like, "Whoa, I don't, I don't care for that." <laughs> you already let me. You already let me in on a previous episode. You already let me uh, just uh, out of nowhere say uh, people who support Gamergate uh, love rape. Yeah, well, I said I was going to edit it out, and you're like, "That's the first hardline stance that you've ever taken on uh, on our on our shared editing duty." Was you're leaving that in? <laughs> So yep. we, we, we can say it like if you're a gamer gator, you know, fuck you. You're an idiot. Um, all right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. I was going to say. So was, we, <laughs> we, should, we should start every podcast with just a list of things like if you're racist, if you don't like the new Ghostbusters movie because it's starring women, <laughs> if you're a gamer gator, it, like we could just go through a list of like 20 things and just be like. If you're listening and you think any of these things, uh, you can go fuck yourself. But please rate review. Now we're gonna have a bunch of terrible reviews, <laughs> which is fine as long as they as long as they as long as they identify as I am rating this review poorly or I'm, I'm rating this podcast poorly because I believe our men are genetically superior to women. Then just please put that in your review. And uh, I think I think that'll only help us, to be honest. Yeah, that'll that'll just make us know that we're on the right path. And the thing is, yes, it, it has no context for me to uh, talk shit about uh, MRAs and bigots and and such. But uh, I don't think I need it. No, I, I think we're going to drop it whenever. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's there's two movies that there are two movies: The Matrix and uh, The Matrix and Dark City, and they're sort of. Little brother equilibrium, I would say, is also in that group about uh, someone getting 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 woke and discovering the truth of their world uh, in equilibrium. It's through him stop taking drugs in Dark City. It's through him discovering he has magic powers in The Matrix. It's about him discovering that his whole world is a lie. Yes, and because he embraces that lie. He can manipulate that world, which puts the sort of uh, magic level of the Matrix and Dark City closer together than most movies, I would say. The fact that people are physically breaking the, what is possible with science and physics by contorting the world with their own mind. I think why Dark City is more interesting to me... And this, I think this counts as a broader theme, so we might as well talk it, about it now. And I know we're not trying to do 
a Matrix versus Dark City comparison. I think it's relevant to the discussion in in some comparisons as to what worked and what didn't. One of the one of the reasons why Dark City works so well for me is the concept of what makes you you. I I do think it's it's still pretty shallow uh, philosophizing. Um, well, yeah, it's it's pop philosophy. It's fine. It's it's just supposed to. The ideas are approachable for like a wider audience. That's why the movie has just like the Matrix. That's why it has action scenes. I think. Yeah, I think the but but the I sort but I actually but I think the shallowness of the ideas is defensible. It, I think it's defensible, but I think I think that's more interesting to to me, anyways. Than is this world an illusion, and are we like programmed? I just I just find that concept more interesting. It's why if you erase my memories, if you erase. My life experience, if you take all that away, I'm not there. I, I, I don't think that there is some co- sort of core person uh, inside you. I think that you're maybe there. I mean, there's definitely, you know, genetic traits and predispositions. But I don't think that Dark City has anything interesting to actually say about the notion of self any more than I think that The Matrix has anything interesting to say about the, our perception of the world and what's real and what's not. Conceptually, the the ideas that Dark City are playing with are more interesting to me than the other one, if that makes and sense. I, I, yeah, and, I, and that's also a subjective thing. I think most of our disagreements on this are going to be subjective, which I think this is going to mean this is going to be the rest of the show is going to be pretty uh, amenable. But I think that one of the most interesting things about The Matrix is in the little ways that it pokes at our reality and how there there are little coincidences and like moments like deja vu and, you know, the doubling of the cats, like the little coincidences and weird things in life that we as humans look for meaning in. And The Matrix says, almost like a horror movie, what if there was a meaning to that? What if it meant that that was simply a glitch in reality? And, and what it is drawing from is this very eerie everyday mystery and there are moments like that in Deja Vu and Strange Coincidences where you life seems to be uh, an easily shattered illusion for me. And I, as someone who is an atheist and doesn't believe in like a heaven or a hell, the concept that it's just us and yet these strange, these strange anomalies are happening regardless makes the matrix way more interesting to me because it's pulling from those strange anomalies. See, that's interesting because I I think that's really clever what they did in the matrix, but I don't find that uh all that like as as a concept like again, very very clever the way they decided to uh, say, "Hey, this is why da- the, all these little brain glitches that we have because our brains are just kind of thrown together evolutionary stuff with parts that work and parts that don't." I think that was interesting as a way to explain those, but again, from a conceptually, that's not all that intriguing to me. And I, and I, I cannot stress enough that neither of these movies, in my opinion, d- go into any level of like I would never show someone who's interested in the concept of self or the idea of uh, perception in the case of the matrix, like watch these movies. This is going to give you a good base understanding of some, some concepts like they're not that it's more about, I guess what you find more compelling and maybe it's just about what our, what our own, um, this is, this is going to get maybe a little deep for a second, but what our own like, uh, anxieties and psychological issues are because, and I'm not saying that's the case with you in the matrix and me in dark city, but it may be that like my fears or my concerns or the things that 
affect me um, in relation to self makes me identify more strongly with Dark City and, you know, you being uh, diagnosed schizophrenic. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> makes you identify more with the Matrix. How's that for a twist? Um, um, and again, it may not even be that deep. It may just be what type of philosophical concepts that uh, you and I find interesting may differ. And even though these movies are only skimming the surface of those, they're still present and they still affect the way the movie presents its world. Yeah, I, I agree in the sense that there might just be a core uh, philosophical difference. And yeah, a lot of the stuff from The Matrix is basically just like, the yeah, like you said, it's just our body is cobbling together all sorts of weird evolutionary shit. And we live in a strange, ex- modern culture is a strange thing where we're not f- physically threatened. Hopefully, you're not physically threatened on a day-to-day level. And you, and so our bodies are like looking for patterns where none may exist. And the, and that's where the fantasy elements of, of Dark City and, and the, the Matrix are. The, so yeah, there might be there might be something there to the, the, the core anxieties or the core uh, philosophical differences between the movies. It's just a subjective thing. To me, I didn't find, and I think this is one of the big things about Dark City, I didn't find a whole lot of humanity in there. And that might be part of the that might be part of the the experience that these people are in such an experiment that they're just aping humanity. I don't I didn't hear a lot about what it's saying about humanity in the way well, like, see, in the matrix I, in the matrix even keanu reeves i think has a more uh, uh sympathetic performance a strange keanu reeves is a more sympathetic performance than a lot of actors in this movie who are i would say much better actors but i just don't think are that well directed see oh well i i disagree on the well directed standpoint but i agree with you on most of that I don't think this movie is concerned with when it comes to answering those questions of humanity. I think it's presented as the spine of the movie and to give kind of the MacGuffin for why the aliens are doing these experiments. But I don't think the movie is as interested in its philosophy as The Matrix is in its philosophy. And that's fine. Like, that's great. So one thing I think this movie does, and I was noticing this uh, in in my most recent watch... This movie sort of it, it moves at a clip that I forgot about. It, it really does move to the point that it sort of feels like, especially like the first forty minutes of the movie, that you're almost watching um, a TV series where this is a forty minute recap of stuff that's come before because it yeah. it, is, it is moving so quickly. I, I don't think it's all that interested in establishing these these people as characters, and that's that's great. What it's doing is it's setting up a world. And setting up a mystery around that world, and uh, the philosophy aspect is is you know it's it's there, but it's more about establishing motifs. It's about establishing an, an idea of being these rats in a maze and creating this fantastical world and this you know creepy set design and atmosphere and everything else and. And then creating a story interesting enough that you you feel like you're one step behind it the whole time as much as the characters. And then you're kind of led on this adventure. And I think, I think that's what it's setting out to do. And I think it succeeds. They have all these little clues, these foreshadowing, those, these motifs of freedom and being trapped. And again, I don't think they, they amount to any bigger point. A mo- I think a movie can succeed at being all atmosphere and mystery. And I think this one does. I agree with you that I'm going to double back on something you said. I and I uh, agree with you that a movie can succeed, at least for me, 
on being atmosphere and tone because I think films are primarily an emotional uh, experience. Like art's goal is to engender some sort of emotional response out of you. And is that you said earlier that the movie moves at a quick pace and you said it is a, is a positive. I want to dwell on this for a little bit because this is my least favorite part of the movie is that it is, I actually saw this on IMDb. It says, has one of the shortest average shot lengths of any modern narrative production at 1.8 seconds. That means there is a cut almost every two seconds. That is something that I'm fine with fast cuts, especially like, I'm not going to go back and say, like, Battleship Potemkin is shitty because <laughs> Eisenstein was building a montage and, and that's, like, not a good narrative technique. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that in this I, movie. I, I, I just just to be I, clear, I I'm going to take out the I'm not going to say. <laughs> I don't like where this is going. This is going to be heavily edited in my favor. Uh <laughs> but I do not like the pace of cutting at all. And I think that it purposefully uh, ruins the point, a lot of the points that the movie is trying to make. And I think that it ruins a lot of the atmosphere that it could set. I think that it's a, an incredibly poorly edited movie and that it's it's pretty short, right? Like 90 minutes? Uh, no, it's it's 100. Oh, Wow. It moved. It, it at least moved very fast. It wasn't like pulling teeth. I think it easily could have had another forty minutes if they had just. And this is something that kills me mostly with horror movies. Just fucking let the shot breathe. Let us sit and stew in this atmosphere that your set designer spent weeks deciding on paint tones for walls and which cars to put in this alleyway and how this rain wanted to in the lighting guy wanted to wanted the rain to look a certain way and your in your dp which this movie has a very famous dp i forget who it is is it darius conjit don't put this on me you're the one that said it was very famous <laughs> i'll find i'll find it find it find it one second one second uh dariush walski uh who did a bunch of Oh, he did the counselor. That's not a good argument for for him being a good DP. But uh, he's he did the Mexican. He did the Crow. He did Romeo's Bleeding. He's a he, he's a he did a couple Pirates of the Caribbean movies. He did some very visually stark movies. And I think that this movie's greatest sin is that it uh, it doesn't let the movie itself breathe ever because it's in such a goddamn hurry to get to the next thriller but, set piece and it just doesn't work for me at all there's it cuts all the humanity out of the movie I, don't, I didn't give a shit about any character in this movie because of that i didn't have a second i didn't get to spend a second with them well here's here's why i disagree with you i agree with you in the sense that if you're just editing and cutting for the sake of i have a fancy new machine and blah blah like you know th there's definitely those those movies that feel overcut but I actually think that the direction, that the speed at which this movie goes, fits with the tone that they're trying to establish. I think that the quick cuts are supposed to make you feel anxious, like you don't know what's going on, like you can't get your bearings. I think it's trying to put you in the perspective of of the of the main character that you don't know what's going on and it's and as a mystery it's speeding you along so that you don't have time to catch up to the movie. You don't have time to ever go, okay, well, what's going on here? And again, just create an atmosphere of panic. I mean, they have a scene in this movie that is just at a, it's very early on, where they're just at an automat that serves food. 
and it it is a very tense scene with all the cutting for all the uh, the the plastic openings where the food's located they are flipping open in and out and people are walking in and out and the 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 person who's serving the food is talking talking to John Murdoch and explaining that he was in there the other day even though he doesn't remember all he does is go and picks up a wallet and that is a extremely tense scene because of the frantic way that it's cut and edited and everything is put together. And I think that even though you were kind of saying, I don't care about the humans or the the characters in this movie, I think Rufus Sewell, apologies if that is an incorrect pronunciation, but I think that his little, little, the way his eyes are, are looking and the way that he looks so frantically at everything... He is a blank slate. He is, he is basically has me, he has amnesia and he has memories that exist at the moment that he woke up, but he's still selling the panic that is going on. And I think the the cinematography, the editing, the directing, everything um, makes the audience feel that same panic at whatever is going on. So here's what I'll say to that is that he doesn't I don't think he totally goes through any sort of arc in the movie. And that he goes through a arc in terms of powers. Like, I guess he's like, he goes through like a video game arc where he, he suddenly gains more uh, abilities as it goes on. But he never goes through a character arc. And in this sort of movie, I think what you need is for as the illusion starts to break and people start to realize that like, oh, there's these strangers and our lives are being completely manipulated by them at a day-to-day level. I think that the movie needs... Some, at least, if not the main character, it needs some character, I think, to become more emotive and more human. And there's one scene at the end, the the beach scene, wherein I feel like there's actual humans in a scene. And I think that the movie could have benefited more from really in that. And what I'll, I'll jump back a little bit as well and say that, so the automat scene it was, it was cut fast. I liked that in the scene where he wakes up and he's panicking around the apartment. Uh, and he's and he's running from there. That's all. That's that that being cut fast is totally fine with me because you're supposed to be sort of on this adrenaline kick. Like you don't know where he is, what he's doing, blah blah. blah. But a movie needs to modulate its tones and its pacing so that we're not constantly going at eleven. And the movie constantly going at eleven works for I think for a a action movie like even the raid is modulated better than this and the raid is supposed to be go 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 and i think that what i would prefer and this is a subjective thing i would prefer these all scenes move really really fast and they let you sort of get caught in the panic and then other scenes just show us something that has more like obtuse truth to it like they show us a weird mystery and let us sit on it for a little bit and then move on to the next scene whereas in this movie it's go 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 and they're feeding us tiny tiny little plot snippets as little food pellets almost to get us through the maze uh i just made your argument for you buddy uh yeah thank you thank you holy, holy cow this movie's deep guys so what these scenes are like, they're like food pellets, like a rat. In them. Um, yeah, the movie tries to give you these little food pellets as, as you go. And I would have preferred occasionally the movie to stop and give us, give us something really to chew on. I would argue that the movie does slow down. And the reason I said the first 40 minutes is because I actually was starting to take note. Again, it's been a while since I've seen it, that the movie does clip faster than I remember. And then it kind of noticeably does slow down it doesn't slow down to a snail's pace it doesn't have long you know lazy conversations but it does let scenes build a little more and be contained 
you think about the whole scene with Uncle Carl, um, who is the least like uh, if Uncle Carl plays poker, like he is the he is the least convincing liar in a movie I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> I Uncle love Carl, I love to like poker with Uncle Carl. Yeah, Uncle Carl is dead broke because he couldn't sell a lie to save his life. But I think you know that kind of plays out. Some of the conversations with Jennifer Connelly and William Hurt play out a little bit longer like it's it never slowed down to a stop but it slows down to a walk as it's starting to reveal that maybe these solutions aren't as clear-cut like it's not that they've it's not that the strangers have prevented access to shell beach but wait people don't even remember shell beach and i think that's one of the brilliant things about the movies it does it keeps it going throughout it's not here's a mystery and here's a here's a solution at the end one of the best things in this movie is when William Hurt and Rufus Sewell are talking, and they they say, "Hey, when's the last time you've seen daytime? Do you remember that?" And you're so used to these film noir movies being shot and having scenes that take place exclusively at night that it probably hasn't occurred to you as a film watcher. You've probably spent the whole movie thinking that there is a day that you're not seeing based on uh, the movie trying to establish a tone. And I think that's a fantastic scene where you're like. Oh yeah, I haven't seen Day in this movie, and oh shit, the characters have been, haven't seen it either. The way they keep kind of kind of stretching out um, what is going on with adding in new little bits of information throughout the movie, and I do think, like I said, it slows down to a walk. It is not cut like a recap the entirety of the movie. That the be- the beginning being cut so quickly, it keeps you off balance for the duration of the movie. So even when it slows down. Your mind is racing a mile a minute and it doesn't let you catch your breath. I think that well, we'll, we'll jump to a scene that I think demonstrates more of what I'm saying versus what you're saying. And that <laughs> I... I it's a, okay, it's so such a weird the, way to put that. <laughs> so there's a, there's a scene uh, where he first faces off against the strangers. And that highlights a lot of my problems with the movie because I think the movie is is very poorly directed and it doesn't know barely poorly directed and I guess as a probably I guess as a byproduct of that is barely poorly edited so that go 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 uh, cut 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 quality that you see in like Michael Bay movies is here where this fight should feel I feel like this movie needed like if you're going to make a if you're going to make like a, a stew I think it needed like 40% more horror uh, because I'd never found the strangers scary, but they're supposed to be these like ominous, strange creatures for m- most of the movie, right? They're supposed to be scary pretty much until he, he gets fully super saiyan at the end, right? I think that's subjective though, because I, they definitely were, I don't know if scary is the right term, but they, they were effectively creepy for me. They didn't creep me out at all, man. And I, like, but like the, I guess like white pale faced white people, uh, talking funny and sort of slithering at you and making these oh uh, they make these actually here's the thing they make this clicking noise when they're first introduced that I was like oh yeah. that's really that's really awesome and then they I don't think they do it ever again um, maybe just a certain character does that and then he dies is that the Mr. Sleep guy that dies maybe he just does the clicking noise um, see I, th- I think I think but I think you called him Mr. Sleep I think the names I think their weapon of choice I think the way they move and their costume choice it feels less unique than it did in 1998 when I first saw it it was absolutely effective in its creepiness now if it, if, if it was not creepy to you and not effective 
obviously, I agree that that is going to hurt the movie because part of what this movie is designed on is you feeling like, who the fuck are these guys? I don't want. And to they're hunting our they're hunting our protagonist, and yep. yeah, you're supposed to be all driven forward by this sort of terror of the strangers. And one of the issues that I have with the problem is I do not like the fact that he just becomes this like psychic force and he can control the world in that manner. That goes back to another subjective thing that I just have problems with magic in movies where there's no cost to the magic. It's just people like shooting magic beams at each other. This movie has like a telekinesis that I think is like one. If you don't establish what the limits are of what the magic is in a movie, you lose me immediately because I mean, that's why gunfights works. Gunfights and sword fights work so well in movies is because we understand at least the language of gunfights and sword fights. We know that if someone can swing and they'll be tired, if they block that they they've successfully dodged that blow. Like, I don't know what the limitations are to two people staring at each other and launching magic darts at each other. Like, I don't know what the limits are. I don't know what their their capabilities are. I don't, I don't know anything. So th- this fair enough. But I I kind of disagree with you. And this goes back to something you said earlier. I mean, it's no surprise I disagree with you. That's the whole point. That's we know where we stand. You you said that he keeps gaining additional powers like a video game. I don't I don't think that's true. And actually, I and the only reason I took notice of it is because you kind of tipped your hand a little bit to me when we were discussing this movie, and you said, "Yeah, I can't wait till it gets to that Dragon Ball Z ending." And so I was I was probably more aware of any uses of psychic powers and how long the final fight took because you obviously that was a problem that you had with the movie. I actually think that first of all the a- actual use of psychic powers is barely in this movie and even the ending fight with them is more based on the chaos of everything collapsing around the machinery. There's like literally a minute of the two of them psychic forcing a knife and then that's it and it's over. It's there but it's not – I don't think that he – I don't think that that was accurate that he gains powers like a video game throughout the movie. He has those psychic powers from the first scene that we see him. Like like any uh, like any protagonist who doesn't understand what he's become or what he is or what con- is contained inside him, they come out occasionally in weird ways. But it's all the same thing where basically he thinks something and it happens, which ends up being, again, part of the mystery that these aliens – think the city into being it's not an it's not a city on earth it is a city that they've created with a machine that they control with their thoughts i think it's so it it doesn't do that video game thing and it happens so infrequently and it's not dwelled on i think that if you had a problem with it you had a problem with it but i don't think it's so present in the movie that it's like magic psychic warlords i think it's that's a that's a minor part of the overall movie. I think he most definitely gains powers as he goes because when he starts, he just kind of launches a blast on accident during that fight scene I was talking about, and that's yeah. the fight scene where I, I feel like I feel like if they had dragged it out and really made these guys creepy, and if I had felt this, if they'd let the, the a shot longer, if they let all a shot longer than ten seconds of the strangers creeping in on him and him and us feeling like he's really trapped, rather than just these series of two or three shots that are all just kind of cut between really, really fast with very few close-ups. I, I think that it would have worked a lot better if they had let the scene sort of sit and stew and I would have been scared of the strangers. And then the moment when he finally releases that psychic blast, I would have been like, oh, he got so scared that he actually 
manifested something from within him that he didn't know he had. He has to figure out whether or not everybody has that power, if he has that power. And as the movie goes on, he starts, he gains the ability to fly. He gains the ability to move buildings. He can create beaches. He gains the ability to control objects in 3D space. I feel like he, like the knife that's, thing. That's essential, but that's essentially all at the end. There is some blast that he does, but all the things you're talking about, for the most part, like the building a beach and flying and all that stuff, that doesn't happen until the very end when he is like, well, I mean, he does. Well, th- I think those it's aren't... to your point. <laughs> I think it's to your benefit for the movie to have it sort of build like there's a scene where the the scene with the gunfight the sorry that's not the gunfight excuse me the strangers are in the basement and they finally smash open that that wall to reveal the outside world of space like he's launching a little blast then like it's not just the ending and it's not just the but that's that's right world. before that's right before the ending i'll concede your point in that at one point he makes a door appear but i still yeah, think that neo uses most of his powers in the third act it doesn't mean that that's not escalating I, I just don't I just don't think that he his powers are rarely remarked upon. It's not it's not till the very end that he again harnesses the stranger's power and all that stuff. It doesn't and he does a lot of that stuff at once. Now you're right that the strangers are kind of shown to fly midway through the movie and we haven't seen that before. But I, I feel like that works for them because he we're, we're not following them along we don't know what they can do and I, I will say i do the one really creepy image of the strangers is there's a scene where one is either pursuing him or just decided he's like fuck it i'm going home there's a scene where the strangers decide to fly and one of them and it, it's so cool in a post superman world to just see one of them just lift their body so effortlessly and yeah. just like float through the air fully erect just standing yeah. and floating through the air this XYZ plane in 3D space, he's just sort of moving. And it could, I don't know exactly why it doesn't look silly in that particular shot, but that was sort of one of those things where yeah, it, I, I was like, the slow creepiness of it worked because he wasn't moving, yeah, he wasn't zipping. Yeah, it's just basically like like weird levitation. That it's a, that's a very effective, uh, that's a very effective scene. Now, because you compare it to The Matrix and Neo gaining his powers in third act, I am going to say one thing. The Matrix is concerned with what Neo's powers are. That's a big part of the movie. It's him training. It's him learning what he can do and what he can't do and how he can manipulate the world. Like, that's a big fucking part of the Matrix. Yeah, I'm saying that's a good, th- I'm saying that's a good thing in the Matrix. I, no, I know. I, his pa- I, but, but I'm saying that works well for the Matrix. I don't – in Dark City, I don't think they care that much about the powers. It, essentially, their powers are – omnipotency over this world that they've created. So I feel like the powers are so not the point of this movie. And they, I don't think they, I don't think the way that they're presented take away how they work are so uninteresting to me as a, as a concept in this movie. Cause they don't, they don't make that much of an appearance until the very, into the very end. And, and he's not, it's not about what powers he has now. It's basically, he's now the God of this city that was contr- I mean, that was the mystery. The mystery was that the city was created and entirely controlled by these strangers. Now he's in control of the city. He is essentially the god of this of this world. So what? How his powers work and and how he can use them? I mean, he, he's not learning to use them. They just come out because he's been. He's in some way all of their moving people around and switching their personalities has somehow created someone who who basically has the same. Uh, control over their universe. And that's why I don't even think it's magic. 
I, I don't, and that's why the magic stuff doesn't doesn't interest me. It's not about that now he has these powers. He just has these powers in relation to how they operate the technology and the rules of the universe and the spaceship or whatever you want to call it that they've created. So he's essentially just been tapped into the the strangers say that it takes lifetimes to master these skills. It, it just feels like he basically got their code book and now he can manipulate their world. So the the definitions of them are just they're uninteresting to me in this movie because I don't think the movie's that interested in them where I think the Matrix it's very important you know the rules because that's Matrix learning to manipulate the Matrix is like the core of that movie yeah and I and I think that the Matrix deploys the the escalation of his powers in a much better way where we're we're essentially I mean up until the final fight with Agent Smith we're essentially just watching someone who has gotten so good at understanding the rules of this world that he's become a John Woo character. Like he doesn't do anything that isn't done in hard boiled until the and then he's just a and then he becomes when he becomes Neo or he becomes the one he just becomes a incredibly good fighter to a slightly higher extent. So there's a little bit of escalation there. The only thing that he does that's a magic ability that we didn't know he had is when he dives into Agent Smith's body. And that's supposed to be like a genuine shock. And I think in this movie, the moments of revelation of powers don't have any genuine shock for me. So they're just kind of like, I guess like because the problem for me is if you don't build any import into those punches, then it's just like, oh, well, then the movie did a thing. Well, I just I just don't think that I don't think that the movie, though, is trying to shock you with the powers. Again, I agree that that works beautifully in The Matrix. That movie cares about what powers that Neo has. And so when he demonstrates a power that they couldn't train him on, that works because that shows that he's the one. This movie doesn't give a shit about these powers. They're they're backdropping. So I mean, when you're saying that that didn't like you're saying that the thing that there they didn't have effective scenes. You, you you didn't find the discovery the first time you saw it that they they're not on Earth and and what's going on in the world. You didn't find that reveal to be a great reveal in the same way. Maybe not in the same way that Neo demonstrating a new power was, but the same the same like that that's that movie's reveal. Not that he can fly and has powers. It's that it's that they are not on Earth. They've never they don't they don't even know about Earth. They don't even know where they were taken from. They're not in a city controlled by strangers. They are in a city designed and controlled by strangers. That they are literal uh, rats in a maze. So my I guess my question is, okay, so if they're rats in a maze. And they and they the characters, you know, until the very end can't control the maze, which the only reason I wanted to harp on the powers is because it legitimately is the epilogue of the movie is heavily based on the powers, which we'll get to the epilogue of the movie later. Um, Not the epilogue, but, you know, the whatever happens after the third act. Um, The ending. Some people call it the ending. (laughs) <laughs> the the uh, oh so the reason that the reason that the the uh, the rats in a cage thing uh, is not as interesting to me is because the if they are rats in a cage they can't control the maze you know until he gets the power to me it doesn't really fucking matter if the maze is on Earth if the maze is on the moon is the maze is doesn't even exist like it, it it doesn't really matter in that sort of bombshell sense that you would expect because it's like they're well they're in the maze they can't escape the maze 
but he's slowly finding ways to break the rules of the maze to open up walls that didn't exist before and yeah i was like oh it's in space but like at that point we already knew there were aliens because there's a stupid there's a really unnecessary shot early on where they show us inside one of the guy's heads and they show us that there's a little uh a little squid billy in his head <laughs> so i agree that that that's an unnecessary shot and you know, one of, one of the things that's interesting when you're watching a movie... Um, now, this this is going to happen to you all the time, you listeners. When you're watching a movie that you know the other person doesn't like for your podcast... Again, common experience happens to all of us. You, you kind of watch it in a different way. Because I knew what Peter's thoughts were on the movie. And I didn't know if they were going to change. So I was trying to watch it with a more critical eye. Which can be difficult to do for any movie that you've seen this much. So I was trying to kind of pick out the points that I thought that you were like, and and not from uh, so that I was aware of what you'd be bringing to the table, but I wanted to be hyper aware of what this movie's flaws were. What what are the problems with this movie? Because I've never had to watch it from that perspective before. I agree with you 100% on, I think in general, and again, I, I didn't even know how much I disliked CGI, but holy shit, do I like 1998 CGI. Um, which this movie mostly avoids. Most of the effects of the buildings rising and falling are so fucking good. Like they're fantastic. Um, I think the I think the building effects, the building smashing together and stuff, uh, looks really really good. The buildings growing and shrinking looks really really good. I think the magic powers is mostly where my complaints on the SFX are. So are you you like the magic powers in this movie, right? <laughs> Yes, you're pro. Love you're them. pro magic powers. I also feel we're like just we can we edit we this can, back. Just edit all my shit talking. <laughs> um, we we could totally edit this entire podcast to make it sound like we talked about the Matrix, um, which I sort of apologize <laughs> for to our audience. No. But but I feel like I mean we don't normally do so much movie comparison, but I feel like we're discussing this movie a little bit differently, and I feel like the the comparison was made so much and continues to be made to this day that it, that it's valid to discuss. The other thing that really doesn't that I, I you know I honestly have never noticed it before, but again, looking at this movie and going, okay, what is fucking wrong with this movie? So that Peter doesn't catch me off guard. Oh my god, Kiefer Sutherland delivers a great performance, so different from the characters that he normally plays. Um, especially now. Like nineteen ninety eight it felt different, but post Jack Bauer, this seems like crazy that he played this character at all. Uh, my girlfriend loves, love, loves 24. And I pointed out Kiefer Sutherland to her and she was like, no, that's not him. That's like, that's like his, his brother, like his, his like a Clint Howard like brother. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's Reefer Sutherland. Reefer no, Kiefer. Sutherland and Lost Boys at Reefer Kiefer. So I think his performance is really good, but his dialogue is just a fucking clunky hammer of exposition. I don't think I ever noticed it because it works. I think I think if you're sucked up into this movie, which I always get, it works because you're so desperate for some information. What the fuck is going on here? Even though he most of his dialogue is just, okay, here's what was going on, and now you need to know this, and here you have this information now. Okay, it, it's almost all that. You're so desperate for that. It's like it's like if you had like kind of shitty tasting water in a desert. You don't really care because I'm getting water. It really is just like barely disguised, almost stage direction exposition. Where okay, so this happened even even when he's talking, like when the aliens come and confront him in the pool, he like recaps what has occurred between them for no reason. 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. So here's what I'll say. So I, I learned this online because I'm not as well versed uh, as I should be on a lot of classic cinema. Um, I've, I've seen Fritz Lang's M and a bunch of movies that Peter Laura has been in. Uh, Peter Laura has been in. But I love that our podcast is going to be known primarily for not knowing how pronunciations work. It's perfect. We just don't. We just, it's always a, is it A or B? And then we A is right and we choose B. Yeah, we spent an entire podcast with people pronouncing things differently and no one ever commenting on it till the very end. Like, that's a little like we, we could have. I mean, we edit these things. We could have edited that out. Instead, we just went about our day. Well, it's okay if everyone says Hedora and Hedera different. No one gives a shit. <laughs> the, the English language is malleable. I will also the going back to the Hedora Hedra thing. Uh, I know they say Hedra in the movie. I think Hedora sounds more like a Godzilla villain name. But anyways, also, we, so, but we watched the dub version. So who the fuck knows if the actor was saying it right? Uh, we both watched the dubbed version. So some yeah. annoying little American kid got to mispronounce everything in the script, and then uh, a bunch more annoying people got to follow his act. Yeah, you um, think 1972? They're like, no, we know what this means. We were able to look <laughs> it up on nothing. Like, you think they were making a call all the way to Japan just to fucking ask how this monster, no, the, this name they made up was pronounced? That's not happening. <laughs> like, that's going to cost us at least $25. Fuck that. Just let the little kid say it. Hey, little kid, how would you say it? All right, that's canon. But, uh, but the... the Kiefer Sutherland is doing apparently doing a Peter Lorre in, in production, uh, impression, and that makes a lot of sense after seeing, like, Fritz Lang's M. The, I think he's doing a good job with it too. I think. I think. Yeah. I think again. It's not. It's not his. It's not his characterization and his performance that is noticeably off. It's just all his lines dude, of garbage. The dialogue in this movie is so tin-eared. We'll, we'll get to my least favorite character in the whole movie in a minute, but uh, let's stay on Kiefer for a second to give him a little bit of praise. Kiefer Sutherland stuff early on, uh, apart from the. Uh, opening narration that there that is in the theatrical cut and apparently is in the director's cut but i watched the theatrical cut so i can only judge it on that is the worst it's as bad as the opening narration for dune where they're like giving you like three pages of an explanation on what the fuck's like the spice economy is up to and who the harkonnens are and who the andretti's are like it's it's as bad as the Dunes opening narration for bad narration, and, it, and it's so one of the so I where... feel I feel like we need to pause there because that when people talk about the difference between the director and the theatrical cut, they say the biggest improvement for the director's cut is it doesn't have that opening narration, which you're saying it's really long. It's six sentences. It feels so long. It but it it it, it does each sentence basically has it, it's it's not it's not narration in the sense that it's telling a story. Like most narration does, it, it's giving some bullet points. So based on the studio, the audience isn't completely lost when they're like, who are these guys? I'll say so, this. I I think that the narration is fine. It doesn't bother me. The first time I saw it, I was enormously tantalized with what was going on and seeing the glimpses and the stuff. It worked. It, it worked enough to give me a little bit of, okay, what's going on in this movie? Because... This is before information was just everywhere on the internet. Like, all, all I saw was the poster, and I knew it was a sci-fi movie, and that was enough to make me want to see it. I don't think I even saw a preview for this movie. You know, that little bit of, oh, there's aliens, and they're experimenting on people, and then 
kind of going off in that kind of quick-paced craziness for a while. I get it. It doesn't need the narration, but I think it's fine. I'll say on that uh, that the narration specifically annoyed me because I was watching this movie trying to pretend like it was my first time. And one of my biggest problems with the movie is that it doesn't let us sit in the illusion that this is an actual 1940s film noir for very long at all. And and so the the did he murder her? Did he did he not stuff is totally pointless once you know that it's some grand illusion. And you're like, "Well, of course he didn't do it because he was put here by these people." Like trying to watch it with fresh eyes, it really annoyed me how quickly they got to the magic stuff, how they make <laughs> the strangers how they make the strangers magic, the strangers mag- I, which I really like that hand waving and just putting people to sleep thing. It's really creepy. It's a creepy, it's a creepy idea more than it is in a, in practice. But uh, you, just, the, you just had to take back one of your few <laughs> praises. That so, that is like, uh, we should also say that you don't like narration because you get wildly confused if you hear a voice and no one is. It's not coming out of anyone's mouth. Like that is. Uh, I've tried to explain to you how that works. Um, it's why you can't listen to this podcast because you just get completely confused when there's voices coming out of the headphones and no one is speaking them to you. I just assume it's this. Uh, I just assume it's the uh, word of God giving me some sort of revelation. I just have to smash all my speakers to make sure. <laughs> uh, but it's a. Uh, it's. I don't like. Yeah, I really don't like narration. The thing is, I would have been fine with it in this movie if the narration had the opening narration had been done to sort of. Try Try and sell us on this film noir world as a real world that they're gradually going to peel back like an onion. But instead, it's like, yeah, this is basically the dialogue right off the bat sort of betrays that this is all an illusion, which I think under I think it kind of hurts everything else that happens in the first 40 minutes once you are under the like, oh, you, you before can't the, before the, the first tuning the, before the first because I, I get it. See, it's hard for me to say. That the movie did not want to present the world that way because the first tuning scene is where the movie finally slows down a bit. And that is about 40 minutes into the movie. And that's I can see why the director would have wanted that because there's all these glimpses. There's weird stuff. And then 40 minutes in, you get the there's these aliens are actually controlling the world. And you kind of get a good glimpse into maybe not the why or the where, but the how and or not even the how the what. Like, this is what's going on. This is why people don't have memory. Um, and that that would be a, a very good reveal. I guess I think why it doesn't sink the movie is because that opening narration spoiled the, the twist that occurs at the 40-minute mark. Which I still think that scene where they're tuning for the first time is is super cool. So I don't think it spoils the scene. It spoils the twist of the scene. But I honestly think that's basically all that opening narration ruins. It doesn't ruin the the stuff that comes at the end. It doesn't ruin the climax of the movie. I think that not caring about, and it's not just about the did did he murder her, did he not murder her. I think that it it helps make William Hurt's character way more useless by having uh, by not letting us give a shit about the serial killer plot. Which when I started watching it, I wanted it to be one of those movies where it's like they give us 30 minutes of a serial killer plot and then we discover what's going on. Like we have a sort of satisfying conclusion to that. Instead, the movie Mm -hmm. throws away the serial killer plot right off the first 10 seconds and then they expect us to follow a cop 
following the serial killer plot like that stuff made those scenes of the the detective investigating way more boring there's also like that his his uh is it another cop that went kind of crazy and is drawing the spirals all throughout his room yeah um he was the one that that was working on the case before he kind of figures out the whole thing that and he basically tells i mean i think that's why one of the the things that the movie is very effective on he basically tells the audience what's going on in the movie not in as clear of terms as Kiefer sutherland will eventually tell everyone but he basically says that you know this is not there's no way to get here this is what's going on he says it in a bunch of crazy speak but it's all there like the entire thing of what the strangers are doing the fact that this is this this city is not connected to any sort of planet the fact that there's no way to get out the fact that people are you know you don't you don't really have free will and they're doing this like he kind of lays out everything i think so I think that you were looking for, and I'm look. That's not. The, I'm not trying to assign that you were like purposely doing this, but you were disappointed that the movie wasn't a murder mystery where you don't know if this person actually did or didn't. I guess I saw it, and I've always seen it as that. Here's our here's our wrongfully accused uh, protagonist with amnesia how was he going to prove that he didn't do it the question of 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 teasing out whether he did or didn't do it you know that that didn't that that still doesn't seem all that interesting to me just because that's not that's not who he is and the point isn't figuring out it's same thing like with the fugitive like i don't think the like i don't need the fugitive to wait did he kill his wife like at no point do you think that richard kimball killed his wife the interesting part of that movie is how how is he going to figure out what's going on and how is he going to prove that he was not responsible for this so i mean that's that's kind of how i saw the movie and the opening scene so whether he was a murderer or not just wasn't i don't know it didn't i never even thought about it till right now as part of maybe what this movie was going for at some point the difference i guess in the fugitive is that we as an audience are communicated very early on that he wasn't anywhere near the scene of the murder the night of like that it but in this movie we're supposed to assume right off the bat like maybe he killed her so like the movie clearly thinks it's somewhat the movie is using it for creep factor like are we hanging out in a room with a serial killer is our character main character a serial killer and you know most movies that aren't dark city would if this movie were just a neo-noir sort of thriller in the third act, we would find out whether or not he's the killer or not. And this is not See, the I don't, movie. I, and I do like that. And I do like that it's... And I'm not saying that the movie should have done that. I'm saying that the movie zigged uh, instead of the movie... Compl- it didn't zig or zag. It zonged. It just turned into a different kind of movie. That's fine. At least let us have that first 30, 40 minutes where they pretend like this murder plot matters. But I, I – so first of all, I appreciate the news radio reference. Second of all, <laughs> I honestly find it very interesting that you're saying this because I never even considered for a second that you were supposed to think that he was a murderer. Like there was so much other mysteries going on and details to be offered and stuff you weren't clear was going on in the world that I actually think that adding some sort of, wait, is our is our hero a killer – I think that would have taken away from the pace and the other mystery. I think tacking on another mystery to a mystery movie uh, would have been a, a huge mistake. And I think I, I said this earlier. There's enough. 
There's enough deepening of the mystery while they reveal stuff throughout the movie. Whether or not he's a killer is so inconsequential, especially because it was going to be revealed that he wasn't. I think this movie has much more interesting things on its mind and much more interesting mysteries to solve than whether our protagonist is a killer or not. Like that, the, that is why so would they beg the question then, though? But why would but, they? But beg I don't the think they do. Was- I think I think from the get go that first scene, wait, wait, it, William a- Hurt, fi- they find the goldfish. One of the first things he does is he puts the goldfish back in, and William Hurt is like, "I don't know any killer that saves a goldfish." Like it's but- very clear he's our wrongfully. Ac- like I said, I think he's set up to be the the immediately wrongfully accused person that we know didn't do this. I don't think there's anything there that really ever suggests that they were going for. Did he kill people? No, he's am- but he's am- he has amnesia. And he saves the goldfish after he wakes up from amnesia. And after he wakes up from amnesia, he also looks horrified at the corpse. And I think that what you're supposed to guess is that he doesn't exactly know how the body got there. He doesn't know anything because he has amnesia. And I think it's I think it would have been it's a fair assumption because I think it's a fair assumption because I made it that he could have been someone else before the amnesia. And the movie very clearly states that like, people can become different people once they're reprogrammed later on. Yeah, but even if he was a different person, then he didn't do... I mean, at least from my conception of self, like, maybe his body did it, but a different personality did it. So, either way, he's innocent. Yeah, sure. But regardless, did did, the the cop doesn't care. The the cop is just looking for the... Yeah, the the, the the cop does doesn't care. The cop is looking for the physical body that murdered the physical person that murdered uh, these these series of women. And so I guess we'll we'll get off the topic. But I I just it's not that I care that the movie didn't have a good murder plot because that's basically asking the movie to be something else. It's that I think the movie sets up. But it sets up a plot line on shaky foundation and that the movie clearly wanted us to at least give a shit about the ser- whether or not whether or not it's, it's accusing him or thinking wanting, having the audience question his innocence. Regardless of that, the movie is trying to get us to care about this mystery of the serial killer and who's murdering these corpses, who's murdering these these women. Um, and I think that it gets off on shaky ground. And I think that's part of the reason that I turning into the movie very very quickly again before the but before the magic stuff really got kind of nutty for me well and again i yeah. we can get we can get off it but i i do i i don't want i don't want anyone listening to think that us like especially myself passionately talking about this movie is actually me think of us as like ebert and cisco but we get along more and are much better at our jobs we should also say that we are we are much better critics and film discussers um, than than Siskel and Eber, we believe that. Yes, hundred percent. You know, I I actually just think it's really interesting because at no point did I ever think that this movie was trying to do that, and I I, I actually just find it interesting that you did not because you're wrong. It could be that I you know I went off in this way that the movie was going, and you picked up a different thread that the movie maybe didn't follow through on as much, and that's why I my thread kind of went to the end, and your thread didn't. If that makes any sense, I was I was kind of hooked. Now it's not a thread. Now it's a fishing line. So I was hooked and and reeled in throughout <laughs> the course of the movie. Where where yours was? Oh, I you know my my fishing line was cut off midway through, and so what I was following or what I was interested in, the movie wasn't. So I I don't think that's you 
wanting the movie to be something it's not. You know, in a movie that's a mystery box and has a lot of plot threads going through it, maybe it does depend on which way you on, on which thread you end up following. Now it's back to thread. Yeah, I mean you can you can watch a movie six times and on that sixth time you'll learn everything there is left to learn about that movie. I, I don't I don't get what you're trying to say. <laughs> Just edit that out. So uh, another thing that I wanted to jump on, we were talking about Kiefer Sutherland before we got sidetracked. This whole show is sidetracked. We might as well just call this show Sidetracks. So jumping for other characters, William Hurt is in this in a pretty thankless role. He, he especially once, especially like I said, once the serial killer plotline is sort of resolved, that it's just the strangers doing it. And for no real good reason, like it doesn't really factor into the climax at all. Once that kind of gets factored in, William Hurt becomes useless. And then the movie promptly blasts him out of a... <laughs> Out into space. <laughs> yeah, ni- like 1998 was a bad time for William Hurt to get lost in space because he, he, he had this movie and then he had uh, a movie called Lost in Space. Both of those in different ways, he was lost in space. It's one of the few notes that I've used during this podcast uh, because we've just kind of been going back and forth. So I'm just I'm just happy to use my notes, Peter. Thank you. Um, Thank you. I, that was a that was another movie that I recently watched, Lost in Space, because I really liked Lost in Space as a kid. Uh, I, I saw it three times I, in theaters. Three times. In I love. I, I had the soundtrack. As a kid. I, I Lost in Space did not survive the nostalgia check. It uh, it's not a very good movie. I think, uh, as everyone I think, said. <laughs> I think I never really liked it. I was so desperate for science fiction that I just would see everything and and embarrassing admission, but it was 1998. I was super into techno music as a 15-year-old, and the soundtrack was all techno. That makes so much sense. It it does. Um, Um, (laughs) Oh, so where were we? So William Hurt. Uh, William Hurt is kind of thankless in this movie. He gets... like we said, gets blasted through uh, space when the movie's done with him. And he also, like a lot of people, has the terrible... The movie's worst problem is when it tries to approximate noir. And he says... He has a couple lines. I wrote down some. Give When he's talking about a serial killer, he has a line, give the man an A for effort. And I wrote, oh, fuck that next to it. <laughs> that is I don't, such, I don't even remember that line. That's like the laziest... So basically after Seven... Everybody was trying to write their cops as like these sort of these homicide cops as these sort of like gruff dudes who just crack jokes about crack jokes. And I guess a lot of this is noir stuff, too. These gruff dudes who crack jokes about like, oh, that's certainly a way to get ahead in life. And then like CSI took it and made it into like a parody almost. And this movie has so much noir sort of blaseness about murder from him or like he's seen he's got a scene where he's he's in an office and he's like i'm being punished for my sins right and i'm like oh shut up it sucks to have william hurt just play this like bumpkin character i agree with you that it's sort of thankless but still works because william hurt's a very good actor he's kind of part of moving the mystery along that that i think if you're sucked up in the mystery like i was works well yeah, it's true. I mean, he does a good job with the sort of flat noirish kind of style, but you know. Anyways, so let's let's um, let's get into a couple things. So so first, I, I feel like I went through my bullet points of some things that didn't work. I think the alien spider real form. I think it just doesn't work. 
1998 CGI. I don't think it's necessary at any point, even even if the CGI or practical effects was amazing. I personally think that the their their design in general is creepy enough that you don't need to have this other extemporaneous. Um, also, there's an alien spider infecting the brain. Like that can be implied that they've taken over the bodies. I, I don't think it needs to be um, you know visualized or realized. And I think that especially. I would disagree with you that all of the dialogue is garbage, but I think that Kiefer Sutherland uh, has to deliver a lot of thankless exposition lines. But I think he does sell them very well. That, like I said, I didn't I didn't notice it that much until until I was actually actively looking for flaws in this movie. So I I want you to do the reverse. I want to say the things that you. Uh, liked about it and then let's go into just some whatever random thoughts we have about scenes that we might not have talked about i actually really like um i like the core i like core conceptual stuff about this i'm convinced that there's a good movie in here and i think convinced that even if you didn't change anything about the movie that there is a better movie in a re-edit um that if you had all the original footage and you could re-edit it into something that the the shot lengths were a little longer and the movie let it stew a little bit and cut out some some elements i think that there is a there is a really great little sci-fi movie in there and uh, i really like the last scene where he creates the beach uh, him and jennifer connelly uh, murdoch and, and jennifer connelly are, are on the beach which we, we barely talked about her being in this, this well she's what, she really is barely in the movie and jennifer connelly's great I love her, but she, besides for a few sultry songs and Where's My Husband, she... But again, I, I don't think the movie cares that much about characters or characterizations. So everyone is just a blank slate that's moving along the plot. Um, she just, she doesn't move along the plot that much. So I think that's primarily what we've been talking about. Yeah. And I, I really like, there's one great scene between them though. And that's uh, that's a scene of great humanity. I, I really think the only time that there's any real humanity is between R- uh, Rufus Sewell and Jennifer Connelly. And there's two. There's only two scenes where they show that. I think, and that's the uh, the end scene where they're on the beach and they're looking out. It's very gorgeous. Like I said, the movie is very well shot. I think the movie's well framed. It's just it's not well edited. The scene between them where they're just they just kind of get a chance to do a restart. She cheated on him. He was an asshole to her. Like they were just a shitty couple, and they're getting a chance to do a restart. This this brave new world is is pretty cool. And the scene where she's she's captured by the police, and uh, she's coming to him for visiting hours. They're talking, and there's this whole scene is sort of about this one thing, this one core idea, and it's can our perceptions be real if we know that reality is the reality that you're in is artificial what like it's questioning what is real in a world that like they both are kind of at this this point by the time he's arrested they're both kind of aware that this world is is artificial in many ways and he breaks the glass just to kiss her because he's like i now have this (laughs) this ability to bend this earth the, the world around my my will and they kiss and they embrace and that's kind of a beautiful beautiful moment whereas like i don't think they set up their romance or they're reuniting that well but once we get there it kind of works <laughs> well um, but they don't but they don't really have a romance though all, all, their romance and those those people that cheated on each other and now 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 she has a husband that out of anger kills prostitutes for revenge like that's a fabrication from his perspective 
this is just his connection to a world that he now is in charge of in some ways or has power over and it's almost like his connection to his humanity i don't i don't even know if the movie even intends that maybe it's not that deep and and it doesn't really matter i agree with you though that that scene where they where they are at the beach together finally at the very least it's the first time that they're not lab rats and they're they're people with free will so there might not even be there might not even be a romantic connection if you were to follow this through it's just it's just now two people and no longer experiments the other thing that the ending does really well and this this has been the case whether i watch it theater whether i watch it at home when that fucking sun comes up do you feel like shielding your eyes that's a good point yeah i think i think when it happens at the end i was just like i was like oh god that kind of hurts yeah and that's that's such an amazing effect where that scene where they're talking about Hey, do you remember the day? Did you process the first time that you hadn't seen the sun? It's so easy, just like the characters, to realize that you haven't seen the sun. It's only at the very end with that gut gut punch of, hey, now it's bright. Now it's daytime that you always, I I always want to shield my eyes. I think I've watched it in a bright room and it just feels too bright just for a second. That's a pretty goddamn amazing effect. I think that, I think that does work. I think the, the whole beach scene kind of works and it's a nice, and it's a nice capper on a movie that I think the final act really, really suffers for me. The whole sci-fi, the whole magic battle in space, especially when he throws him into the water tower. I was like, Oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me. He throws him into the water tower because it's like a callback to earlier that they don't like water. It's like, who gives a shit? See, uh, <laughs> See I, thought the, I thought the spinning on one axis was really effective. Like, the way he spins into it, I thought was... <laughs> this is about a little bit of perception. Your thing was the water tower, and I, I was focused on that scene of, oh, man, that's so cool the way he just kind of spins on his – and then, you know, slams into it. Like, I thought that was cool. Um, but you know, but you noticed the water tower. So yeah, I yeah, yeah. I, I don't know I, what that, that means, that, that would, but – Yeah, that could be that, – that, that, I could see that being a cool effect. Uh, I'd say the movie sometimes does do well in that sort of mind-bendy 3D space stuff. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, what I liked about the movie I think was mostly those, those few moments, and I think that in the – of this movie that there's a uh that there's a good movie in there yeah i agree there's definitely a good movie in there we both watched it last week um it's, <laughs> it's excellent um so joking aside so what's some other things let's let's do some quick uh quick observations um um i um i have a few things that i, I didn't get to the one thing i wanted to note is that i don't i, I also don't really like the crow I don't really generally like Alex Proyas's movies. He he does have his he's made one great sequence in the movie Knowing that uh, I really really like. They're involving a plane crash. That's really really great. But that movie's not a good movie. But watch that scene on YouTube. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, no, Knowing is great. Roger Ebert agrees with me. Um, <laughs> I, actually, I actually really like Knowing, and I like The Crow. To a lesser extent, I don't like iRobot, and I don't. I, well, I haven't seen Gods of Egypt, but it looks like a big piece of the garbage. Cr- I I do think he's a really good visual. Uh, I think he's a very good visual director who needs a good script, and I would say that this is his. This is the best example of a director's uh, visual tendencies and script coming together. Now, you obviously disagree with that statement, but but I I would I would defend the Crow less than I would knowing and that's only because I have not seen the crow since high school so 
I remember thinking it was good and interesting, but I have I, I couldn't I couldn't tell you a scene in that movie. And the the crow is one of those movies that I feel like sort of like this, where he made all these interesting sets and such, and he brought in all these interesting sort of visual voices, and then proceeded to give us a kind of janky shitty version of all these sort of id scratching action like i don't like that the fights in dark city at all and i wish that they were kind of excised and the movie had become like more philosophical like even if he didn't have any tuning powers and he and at the end of the movie he just like accesses a console that changes the world that would have made more sense to me if there were no like no action scenes that were, i mean i guess like Scenes of him being chased by people is fun, but like him physically exerting violence on people is uh, doesn't and, really work. The crow, yeah, I think, instead, instead work of violence, much. instead of violence, you thought he should just use magic, right? <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. If you hear anything right, is that I love the magic in the movie. Um, okay, and, and the crow, I think, is a shitty. It's a shitty um, action movie. I think he doesn't know how to really shoot shootouts. And, like, he's he's all for, full of these, like, kind of fun ideas. Like, this guy raised from the dead who's invincible. And, like, he goes to a pawn shop and buys a shotgun and loads the shotgun full of, like, rings and shit to fire off a blast around. Like, that all sounds great. And then you actually watch the movie and you're like, it's not fun to watch any of this. Yeah, I, again, I, I just haven't, I haven't seen it in so long that, I, again, I remember, I remember liking it and thinking it was good, but... Any movie that I saw in high school that I probably didn't see five times probably tells you that I didn't think it was that good. All right, here's what I have. So here, here's a couple of random notes. Um, I do love that they all just kind of wake up in their cars and then just... Because when they go to sleep, it doesn't matter where they are. So if they're driving, they just kind of all stop driving and then wake up and then go again. I love the idea that they are kind of like... Waking up like, oh, I guess I fell asleep driving. Well, better immediately hit the gas. Which yeah, I, think I had is- a note about that, too, because that's not how it works. <laughs> if you fall asleep while you're driving, you um crash your fucking car. Like, why don't they always wake up and, like, <laughs> why don't they all wake up every single day like my car is totaled? Well, I love even that even if they, even if for some reason cars immediately stopped when that happened, I do love the idea that their first inclination upon awaking is, oh, I'm, at, I'm at behind the wheel of this car. I should really press go. But I suppose, you know, you even though you, you have different lifetimes and you have different memories, you know, you get used to habits, including just, hey, if you wake up behind the or behind the wheel of a vehicle, hit the gas immediately. One thing that I think uh, a scene that I think works really well is the train scene when he's trying to figure out where Shell Beach is. And he's like, oh, look, this the green line goes here. I'm on the blue line. I need to find the green line. Then he gets on the green line. They're like, actually, that's the red line express. And then they're like, oh, and then he finally finds the red line express and it speeds past him. And he's asking people and he's saying, hey, where, where, how do I get on this? And they're like, well, that's the express. I love that is like this almost almost literalizing the, the rat in a maze situation where he's just following one direction and one direction and one direction. At the end of the day, there's no really there's no real way out. Yep. <laughs> I don't have that many final thoughts. I think the I think that there's a way to do this sort of pastiche film noir effect, and I think works like Batman the Animated Series, or which is actually more like Art Deco, but this movie blends the two. And same with Bioshock, a sort of film noir dash Art Deco. I think that both of those works in you know different mediums nailed the noir aesthetic this neo yeah this this sort of pastiche noir aesthetic better 
so I don't I don't have a whole lot of like I think that the movie is very interesting visually and conceptually but even if I'm going for a sort of riff on noir with some sci-fi elements and some philosophical elements thrown in I'm going to go somewhere else yeah and I think that if you want to see a good riff on film noir with some sci-fi elements and some fantastical elements and philosophical elements thrown in, I'd recommend watching Dark City. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good place to end it. This was um, – I had a lot of fun doing this. I think um, I think it's rare to be able to have a conversation about films that people disagree on that doesn't turn into some sort of – I think too many people come to a disagreeing opinion – on films in the mindset that they're there to convince someone and not learn or discuss what what the difference of opinion is and why the difference of opinion exists. And hopefully we were able to do that well today. It's one of the reasons that both of us met in the Dissolve, which is, you know, I, I like discussing films and I think it's boring when everyone agrees on them. And so it's, you know, it, this this was this was a fun change of pace. And I think we have had disagreements about movies. You like Death Wish 3, for example, way more than I do. And, and, and the reverse is probably true about Life Force. But, you know, this I, I think this was uh, fun and hopefully uh, a lesson to all you kids out there that it's cool to be polite. I don't know. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm not I'm not putting a topper on that. I, I think yeah. that was perfect. I don't I don't think we were polite, but I guess we have a sense of humor about it. I, I don't even know what it means. So. Anyway, we, we've been announcing our next movies. We're going to do a few quick because we're actually going to discuss our next – we're going to discuss our next four movies. We're actually going to be doing five more movies over the next five weeks, and then we are going to mildly change up the pace. We are still going to be discussing the same um, assortment of movies and tone of movies and everything else that you've – come to not know about on this podcast because more than likely you don't listen to this podcast. We, we're just going to categorize them a little bit differently. And so there's going to be some changes coming up uh, starting in July. But we do have a nice assortment of movies. Not changes to how we discuss movies or the format of the show, but just um, a different way to pick the movies. Peter, do you have a way to say that better than I just did? Um, so we're going to be having a sort of format change. We're still going to be discussing one movie every week. Uh, however, the slight change, we'll announce later, this slight change will uh, sort of tie movies in week to week. And at the, around that same time, we're also going to be doing a slight rebranding. We're going to be pushing out our Twitter page. We're going to be pushing out a lot of new ways to get in touch with us and for you to get involved with the show. So yeah, I'm our, planning our to goal. give you uh, yeah, I'm planning to give you Peter's address. So you yeah, can stop by, bring him address. some muffins and do you have my uh, social? Yeah, I, I mean, you can't too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you gave it to me when we started the podcast based on my insistence that that is the only way two people can co-host a podcast. So, of course, <laughs> I, I still have I have memorized. We're we're going to get to that point. We're going to talk about that more later. So, we're going to quickly go through then and talk about the movies that we're going to be talking about up till July. So, I'll start. So, next week we're going to be talking about um High Rise. Uh, the Ben Wheatley movie. the So the Ben Wheatley movie, High Rise, what we're going to be talking about uh, next week. Uh, it is available on demand on platforms like Amazon, Comcast, iTunes, 
Uh, also, at your theater, if you're lucky enough to be able to go to the theater to see movies, I hate you, Peter, for not having a kid. It's supposed to be somewhat of a, a dystopian future and a uh, brain twist or both things that obviously appeal to both of us. Um, and then what are we discussing next week, Peter? After we do High Rise next week, the following week, we're going to be doing Candyman with uh, special guest Joseph Finn of the podcast Try It, You'll Like It, which I recommend. It's a fun podcast that covers a wider scope than our, our show does. And so if you're not just into movies, you're into uh, books, albums, such like uh, stuff like that, you... Uh, definitely try his podcast you'll like it you'll like it and, and uh their pot their pot his podcast share some dna with ours is that in that uh both podcast names are commands so we definitely <laughs> identify with this podcast uh the following week after that we're talking about it's our 10th episode spectacular we try not to pick movies for the most part that are really hard to watch for our 10th episode, it's as a, as a anniversary present to the both of us, we are going to be talking about 1981's Possession with Sam Neill. It is extremely difficult to see unless you want to order a Blu-ray. It is also one of the best movies either of us have ever seen. And I think it was it was definitely I don't I don't know if it was the impetus of this podcast, but it was the movie that we said, "Hey, if we ever have a podcast, we need to fucking talk about possession. So, but we are going to talk about it. It's great. If you can uh, find it through any means, do it because it's fantastic. So then after we do possession, our next uh, movie is going to be a simple plan, which is uh, brought to us uh, by a fellow dissolver, Dustin Kosky, who's a fan of the show and he's been uh, very supportive of us and we'd love to have him on. He's also a uh, author and he... Uh, has his own podcast called Chilling Tales, the podcast, which is very good as well. And uh, yeah, I recommend that one as well. And we will uh, let you know if there are any updates next week on this order. But right now, that's what we have laid out before our big uh, our big switch over to some uh, different uh, sort of format. Uh, yeah, our big switch over to slightly more organized selections of movies. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be huge, guys. Um, yeah, and we are going to have one more movie before that, um, our episode 12, which we have not fully settled on. So if you have any suggestions for it, feel free to write an amazing review that uh, singles out me for my positive opinions of Dark City while not uh, lowering the stars because of Peter's views on Dark City. You know, uh, as, as we talk about more ways to contact us, again, like, review, subscribe on iTunes, we're on Stitcher. We're on SoundCloud. We're on a pigeon carrier message, right, Peter? That's a thing. Yes. Like if I you, you that. Thank, thank you. Like if you say listen to our podcast, you write that on a note, you leave it outside, um, and a pigeon just happens to pick it up. You're you're gonna be listening to our podcast pretty soon. That's actually the quickest <laughs> way to listen to our podcast. At least most convenient. Definitely the most convenient. You want to end this dumb thing? <laughs> yeah, you want you want to put this fucking thing in the can? <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think it's time, Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about a movie that you're totally wrong on, but I respect <laughs> your opinion, and I hope I never have to talk to you about Dark City again because it kind of bummed me out a little bit. Aww, it didn't bum me. It didn't. It no, didn't. it didn't bum me out at all. It was actually really interesting um, to hear it from a different perspective, a movie that I've loved for 
uh, approaching 20 years now. So, well, it's good thank- for you, buddy. I uh, I had a I had a blast uh, chatting with you about this one. It was a much more amenable discussion than uh, it could have been. I'm gonna have your whole family killed, but uh, <laughs> discussion. You have them killed over good. a better movie. <laughs> You just had to needle me one more. No. Um, (laughs) All right. right. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. I am Aaron Armstrong. I will continue to be Aaron Armstrong. I am Peter Moran, and I hopefully will continue to be Peter Moran. Could turn into someone else based on the dark city that we live in. Oh, fuck you. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch, or our website, wltwpodcast.com. Leave us a comment, tell us we're doing a good job. Only tell us we're doing a good job. We're so sensitive. We're sensitive boys. We're soft boys. And uh, if you'd like to help other people, if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine, fine program that we produce at no cost, we don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available if you don't use iTunes. We're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, Tune in. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. <laughs> That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page, especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. <laughs>